Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges, and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Kimberly Abbott, CEO and founder of Vested. Vested is a company with a mission to redefine millionaire to be a person who impacts millions of lives through leveraging data-driven impact assessment to help people invest their money where it makes the best impact on society. Kimberly has a fascinating background from starting in mechanical engineering to working for the United Nations, building a platform to assess the impact of the UN's $8 billion peacekeeping operations, to being part of a team who has built the most advanced artificial heart. So we've got a lot to talk about and there's so much that she's done with Vested. So today she's here to share her journey. Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Nadia. I'm so pleased to have you here and what a wonderful variety of background. It's so exciting to hear about all of it, but it'd be brilliant if you could start off by telling us about your role at Vested and what that actually entails. As you mentioned, I'm the CEO and founder um, of Vested, and I think when you're a CEO and founder, you pretty much wear every hat, particularly of a startup. But as an engineer by background, I also tend to do the CTO role as well. So for me, I mean, what Vested is, Vested is a platform that assesses the impact of a company's products or services on their contribution to solving the world's biggest problem. Now we do that by bringing in a bunch of data, and we help people to answer that question of what is the impact that my money is having and how do I know it's so. So what this really means about what I have to do is some days I have my head down in code. You know, I'm an engineer. I, I like to press the buttons myself. The next I'm trolling through financial regulations. And then other days I'm literally pitching to Wall Street investment banks or even pitching for investment, which is the you know perils of being a fintech. I think, too, one of my biggest roles for Vested, because as I mentioned before, we're ultimately about bridging the gap between the finance world and the impact one. So we are constantly working across the sectors. I was on a call with the World Bank just the other morning, then the UN straight after that, and then with Goldman Sachs in the evening, you know, where I'm helping them to understand how to communicate impact alongside their risk and return. So I think for me though, I know you and I Nadia have mentioned, you know, purpose before, but you know, the role of vested is ultimately to make a difference. So 
so my job as the CEO is to make sure basically that every single day that Vested meets that purpose, that we're working towards doing things and achieving things that will ultimately mean Vested can make the world a better place. Probably the hardest role as a CEO, but the most rewarding one as well in what I do. I love the way that you've been able to explain that to us. I mean, what a variety of a day, right? <laughs> I mean, one minute you you head down in code, next minute you're on the on the phone to the UN and then Goldman Sachs talking about impact and purpose. It's really, really brilliant to brilliant to hear that that change is happening and you're driving that change with your business. I wanted just to hear a bit more about exactly how you're disrupting the industry and actually when was the light bulb moment i love hearing a light bulb moment i think you said it earlier when you said our strap line but our vision at vested is ultimately to redefine millionaires to be a person who impacts millions of lives now this is because what we're really trying to do is basically create a new definition of what we mean by value or, or kind of more specifically the value of our money. I think gone are the days when we, we just wanted to know, you know, what was the risk or the return of our investment. People every day want to know, is my money going to companies that are making the world a better place? Is this going to have a good or a, a negative impact on the world around us? And in regards to light bulb moments, I think it, for me, it was actually this same journey of people listening may have heard of ESG or sustainable investing. And I thought, great. This is the way our money can make a difference and, and make money. But the moment for me was when I actually dug into that and I realized that traditional ESG as it stands essentially is assessing how well a company behaves or worse, sometimes it's how they say they behave, which means when we're investing our money, we're, we're often actually just choosing the company that ticks the right boxes. It's not necessarily the company that's actually building and delivering the products that is genuinely contributing to making our world a better place. So when I, I realized this, I also kind of found out that one of the reasons that wasn't done in the latter way in terms of what is the outward impact, because actually no one really understood in the finance sector how to measure impact and how to put that independent data against it. So from my background, I, I decided to build Vested to solve that problem so that we could hopefully use finance and, and leverage this desire by society we see now to make money and make a difference with that money we have. Yeah, and everything that you're saying there really resonates with me. So we're actually recording this on International Women's Day. and We've just had a brilliant conversation about authenticity, doing things for the right reasons, and the fact that actually every day counts. It's not just one day a year. And I think that you really are walking the talk with that. You just said people are ticking boxes, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I see that in so many different avenues whenever I'm talking and walking for inclusion. And I think it's absolutely key that what you've done is you've identified a problem, you've identified a gap, you've identified the fact that we can fill that void, and this is how we do it. And I think that's really, really inspiring because one of the things that you said to me when we first spoke, I absolutely love, and you'll be able to explain it obviously better than me. You said that you believe that finance has the greatest chance to solve the world's biggest problems. So I wanted you to share a bit more about that. Like I love all of it because it's all so action orientated. Yeah, it makes me laugh a little when you say that, Nadia, because 
you know, I don't come from the finance sector and I probably was the last person I thought that would ever turn around and say, you know, that the finance is the key, but I'm a scientist by background. And, and when I started looking at the facts was, was how it all came about. So when I say that, I think what I mean is the world as it stands is currently short about $3 trillion a year of enough money to even get close to solving the world's biggest problems. Um, that's solving the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So they're the 17 biggest problems the world have. It's everything from poverty to climate change, to inequality, and, and even gender. And they're $3 trillion a year, short of enough money to get close to that. And I realized that the world only has so much more capacity for philanthropy or for government money. And you take the, all that aside, the only place, you know, I could think of in the world where $3 trillion exists is in the capital markets, it's in finance. So I kind of realized that's the key. If we can unlock that money, and indeed it's if we don't change finance, we won't finance change is the simple way of putting it. But I think the really cool part of this three, you know, when you think about, okay, that's the problem. But I think the cool thing about power of finance is money itself doesn't actually change the world. The people that spend it do. Because money doesn't actually, money's intangible. It doesn't get to decide if it's invested in greedy companies or planet-saving products. We're the ones who do. So I think it made me realize that, yes, whilst finance is an instrument, probably the greatest chance we have, but it's actually about that if we can empower everyday people and investors to, you know, embrace, I guess, this new concept of value and, and the power that their money has, I think people often say the limiting factor might be, is there actually enough good companies to invest in? But I actually think it's going to be the capacity of us as a society and the finance sector to actually embrace this idea that they are in the sector that truly has the power to change the world. And they are the ones and we are the ones with the power to make that so. Yeah, and that's really powerful, the way that you've explained that. And I think it's really empowering as well, that actually we're all responsible for this. It's not pointing fingers to it's out there, somebody else can make that decision. No, we're actually all part of this journey, and that's brilliant to hear. Another thing that I absolutely loved you saying was that finance wasn't necessarily you. You started as an engineer, and one of the things I love to celebrate in these podcasts are people's journeys. I think it's so important for other people to see how you've got to what you do today and how much impact you make today. So it would be brilliant to hear a bit more about your journey starting as an engineer. Yeah, I, I love being an engineer, um, and I'm such a proud woman in STEM. And I think it's because I realize people often look at my career and they think, wow, you've done so many different things from the UN to defense companies to, to data and fintech. But to me, I actually think what I've done has always been the same. All I've ever done is problem solving. And for me, it was actually my engineering degree. It was the way that it taught me to think and to solve problems, which ultimately kind of catapulted me and, and catalyzed everything I did. I was halfway through my engineering degree and I, I actually went to India on a volunteer trip. And I started my first social enterprise there because to me, I, I got there, I saw a problem. I saw that charity wasn't doing the role that it was required to play there. And, and I started a social enterprise, which focused on economic empowerment of women to break the cycle of poverty. 
it worked for a few years and, and then I moved on to the next thing. But ultimately, I think it's, you know, my engineering taught me A, about failing and keeping to go, but about solving problems. From there, I, as I say, I sold my soul to the corporate world for a few years. But again, genuinely one of the most valuable things, I, I went and worked for a huge security and aerospace where really that's where you learn a lot about the hard tech and the deep tech and how big institutions work. One of my closest mentors once said to me, if you want to change things in the world, you have to deal with the levers of power. And so many times these levers of power do sit with big organizations and big institutions. So it was a great learning curve. And then I think I went from there to pretty much the biggest and most bureaucratic institution of them all. And I was so fortunate there as well. I, I was asked to take on a role of leading the tech development of a platform for them that would assess the impact of peacekeeping operations and talk about a job where every day what you do matters because United Nations peacekeeping is, is really the core of what it does. They're in some of the most dangerous conflicts on the planet. You know, knowing that the work you do there is genuinely help communities that need it. You know, I also learned a lot about, about bureaucracy and politics, but it's all valuable. And I think that work too is what then led me to Vested, to, to kind of go, how do we bridge that gap going, you know, doing impact and should be done by all. It shouldn't just be the role of the UN and those around it, but how can we take the learnings and apply it? So yeah, I mean, that's my journey so far. And, and I don't really know where it will take me, but I, I'm pretty sure I will always head to problem solving. It, to me, the biggest question is what's the next problem to solve? I have a lot of work to do to solve the problems Vested's trying to solve. But after that, I'm, I'm sure I'll find the next thing and, and go from there. It's a wonderful mindset to be able to see problems and rather than just talk about them, want to be the person that instigates that change so inspiring to listen to I've, I've absolutely loved hearing all of it and it kind of takes me on to the next question around what you feel are the biggest challenges the fintech industry needs to overcome right now i think in terms of vested and in terms of impact and ensuring that we really do justice to you know ensuring that money matters I think the first one for me is, and you mentioned it earlier, Nadia, and I know I mentioned it, is moving away from the tick the box exercises. And I think we are. I think we're already seeing it. But a shift to start to move away to go, we owe it to the planet, we owe it to ourselves to do more than just the bare minimum. And by moving away from those tick the boxes, it, it is really about then redefining what we really mean by value. We often talk to the, the big banks. And when you say to them, you know, when your clients and your consumers are saying, what's the impact of my money? Do you genuinely think they mean, you know, tell me that my money's going to a company that ticks the right box on, have they, you know, got a free policy on the office? They, they don't genuinely mean that. They mean, is my money going to help or hinder the planet? For us, it's, it's helping them redefine that value and, and giving them the data to shift away. I think that leads into the second challenge, which is an absolutely huge one for the industry to overcome, which is around impact-based data. I was only looking today at, you know, a lot of the regulation that's coming out around impact and around sustainability. And it's a tough one, but to me, it's, it is about shifting towards what a company says it does and relying on the companies to report this data 
but look into that other sector, you know, the impact sector, we pull on 100 million data points, it's impact data, which to me serves as the greatest independent evidence of what is happening in the world. This data says a company might say, yes, we've reduced emissions by this much, but this impact data from, it might be from the World Bank, the OECD, the UN, it tells us what's really happening objectively. So you start to not need that burden on companies, but also you can have that independence to get that. So yeah, I think for me, ultimately, the biggest shift in the industry is really to understand that no longer is financial value the only factor because yeah, I mean, the what is the value of our pension goes far beyond how much money it's making us. What is it contributing to society? So I think that mental shift is a huge one, particularly for a sector that, that's never trained in impact. They weren't meant to do this. Um, and that's why we try and help them. But I, I won't downplay the challenges they have to face. They're absolutely huge. But I think they're, they're surmountable for sure. So it, it's actually exciting, I think, to see what they're going to do. They are some big ones. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Like you've gone with them to big, juicy things that we can all challenge ourselves, challenge one another over. And I really like, you know, that it's not insurmountable. You're absolutely right. But I think that as human beings, we love to say that something is just because we're not used to it. And actually, one thing that this pandemic has really, what I've really loved, I mean, there's, there's not been much that's been good about it. But the one thing that I can say that has been is that uh, across the industry, there's been a huge shift to just CEOs relaxing that people can actually work from home and be productive. And me as a, a new mother, like that has really, really impacted my confidence. And it's made me work more, I think, because I've, I feel so comfortable with it. Um, and I want to celebrate that. So, you know, whenever we think about mindsets and changing them, we don't need a pandemic to allow us to change our mindset. How about we just make the choice? Uh, and listen to Kimberly at Bested. <laughs> so my last question, and it's my favorite, I always ask this in pods, is around your thoughts on the market and what more we should all be doing for real, authentic workplace inclusion. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good favorite. And as you said, we are talking on International Women's Day. I think for me, there's, there's a lot. I mean, on the market in general, I think for me, a lot of financial institutions have you know, always focus more on serving the high end. But I think it's inherently clear these days that the power of the small contributions of the many, of the everyday people, probably has the most profound impact. I think we saw it with the Me Too movement, the amount of companies that got dropped from portfolios for not having certain alignments or, or bad approaches to things. I think really to me, in terms of, that inclusion, it, it really drives home that the market as a whole has to think about this better. I think in terms of the workforce, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, for me, even in my own and the ones I work in, it's all about, you know, when we're trying to solve problems, it's about diversity of thought. It's not just about having, you know, more women at the table, it's more women with a voice that counts and heard. It's about diversity of nationality and background at the UN and, and in the work I do a lot of what I do is around algorithms and we build them and bias in in technology comes about when we don't have diverse teams it's as simple as that even myself 
you know, I might be a woman, but I'm a white woman. So I can build a, an algorithm that may not, you know, may have an inherent bias towards a problem we're trying to solve against refugees. So it's really important to the credibility of technology, to the accuracy of it, that we have that diversity. But, you know, I think my ultimate thing, particularly about finance, um, the market and, and inclusion there is that, you know, I said earlier about there really are no forces for change quite as strong as market forces. And we see finance as being such a driver in the world for things that happen. You know, even with COVID, the economy was always cited as a reason for lifting or reducing restrictions. But if finance is being and these decisions are being driven by unequal representation, it really means then where we're shaping and conducting a world for the few that kind of fails to meet the needs of the many. And that was what I was taught as an engineer. We have the responsibility of we are designing and building the world around us. But if we're only designing and building that from our tiny, tiny view without that inclusion of, of everyone around us, then it's guaranteed to fail and it's not good for anyone. So yeah, I think that's my, you know, kind of take on, on what it should be. I think every workplace needs to do more and there's always more to be done. There's always more work. You know, as a young person, I, I used to have a, a lot to say about um, even ageism in the workplace both ways. So, yeah, I think for me, it's just about diversity of thought and not just about seats at the table, but voices being heard. I completely agree. And I'm going to quote you on that. Like, it's about the voices being heard. It's not a, not a numbers game. It's not actually about those seats. You're, the way you've explained that is perfect. And everything that you've said today has been so inspiring. I love just the way you approach problems. And it's great to hear where that's come from. Because I think there's a, there's a lot of people that will be listening to this that will hear every problem that you're identifying. You identify with, with, with positivity because you're already working on how you're challenging that problem and how you're starting to solve it. I think that it would be great for people to listen to that, think about what problems do they see and what can they do? How can they take a bit of your attitude into all of our everyday lives? So it's been wonderful getting to know you and learning about your business. And thank you for sharing and being so open on the Women of Fintech podcast series. Absolutely. Thank you for having me and absolutely agree, Nadia. I think every single one of us has the power to solve any of the problems we see. We've just got to believe in ourselves enough and be crazy enough to, uh, to do it.